be sure to be with us Christmas Eve. Don't let the customs of the people give you an excuse not to worship the Savior. And uh, some will be, I know Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, it doesn't matter. We'll be here both. And uh, just thank God. I'm amazed at uh, all the things that are hard to keep up with in this time of just adoration and wanting to acknowledge this wonderful creator of ours. I'm in a series uh, that I never looked at before from Genesis 3.15 called The Promise. And we first of all looked at the promise given to Eve that she would have a descendant that would rescue her. And then last week we looked at this promised one would be the one that would crush the head of the serpent who was really Satan used the body of this snake in order to deceive and to ruin and to kill the human race. And he was successful. And the one that Eve was promised, one of your descendants shall crush the head of this satanic power. And he did. He uh, did it in his coming. Uh, ultimately, Satan will be bound in the lake of fire forever. He meets his utter and ultimate defeat. Now today, I want to look at the promised one in coming would have his heel bruised. That is, Mary, you're going to have a descendant that in defeating the devil, he will not do it without pain, without being bruised, without being crushed. It will not be a cheap victory. It will not be an easy victory over Satan and to rescue the sons of Satan out of his kingdom. And what is that? You will bear one. You will bear one that will come and put his foot on the head of the serpent. But in so doing, the heel, the heel of the victor will be bruised and crushed. And we're going to look at this today and see when the heel was crushed and how it was crushed in delivering us from sin. So we read Genesis 3.15 again. I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking of Satan. He curses the serpent animal, as it were, in verse 14, the reptile, to crawl and eat dirt for all of its days. But now, in verse 15, it goes beyond the power of a mere human beast, as it were, uh, an animal creation we call reptile, and looks at the spiritual force that used it, and that was Satan. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, utter victory, crush your head. To stomp the head really speaks of utter victory. And you, Satan, you will bruise his heel in the process of crushing the head of Satan. And so we come to Isaiah 52, and we see the day that the Son of God, the offspring of Eve, the offspring of Mary, the day that he entered into the arena 
to crush the head of Satan. And this is uh, the day of the cross. I call it the day God became ugly. The ugliest day in God's history is now being described in Isaiah 52, verse 13. And it would go all the way through chapter 53. We'll read through verse 10. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shout, uh, uh, shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed. There's the word bruised. They're used interchangeable. Bruised, crushed. This is the crushed heel. He was crushed for our iniquities, which were our sins, under the domain of Satan. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that has led to the slaughter and like a sheep. Before shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, Yet it pleased the Lord, ESV here says, it was the will of the Lord. I like it pleased the Lord to crush him. He was put to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, 
make many to be accounted righteous. We would say many justified. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. He, in order to crush the head of the evil one, the head of Satan, he will be bruised, crushed in the heel. And here is the crushing. Crushing Satan, crushing by the divine wrath, sin crushing upon him, crashing upon him as uh, angry ocean waves. And let's walk through what was going on on the day God was ugly, unattractive, and despicable. Only an insane man would want a Messiah on this day. You see, there are some things that are not pretty in order to give us something good. I take uh, the ER room. It's not a place you want to be. Not when they bring in the people shot up in a, a gunfight or come, picked up off the road from a uh, traffic accident. It's a place of blood, bandages, strong medicines, bruises, crushing, cuts, lacerations, screaming, groaning. It's not fun, but it might be the only hope between you and your loved one. My doctor, really my wife's doctor for our second child in Richmond, said, do you want to be in there with me in the delivery room? Let, let me show you the process. He had nine children. He wanted to show me. I said, yeah, do it. I want to be in there. I want to tell you, it's rather bloody. <laughs> By the time he took the placenta and he picks it up while my wife's there, he said, now this is, he's giving me a medical, you know, training course, and she's not impressed. She said, I'd be glad when you men are through. <laughs> Get out of here. This isn't fun. But I went home with the baby. But let me tell you, that maternity ward and the push down, push down. And some women do it very dignified, some don't. It's the product that's wonderful. And what happened on crucifixion day, there's nothing beautiful about it. It's so despicable that the Jews and the Gentiles said, we don't want a God like this. He's being bruised. He's being crushed. It's going to cost him immensely to save you. There was no cheap way for God to save you. What you get free costs him everything. Now let's walk through the crushing and see what Eve's baby, Eve's offspring, Mary's baby, God's son went through in the process. Let's pick up chapter 52. First of all, he was humanly unrecognizable at this point. Jesus was not an ugly man. We know that just by the way children responded to him. We know this by the fact that if you had a perfect specimen of humanity, you would not be ugly. 
You'd be handsome. There, there was no blemishes in Jesus Christ. And Jesus never had acne. Jesus had no blemishes. His humanity was perfect. 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 And yet, by the time we, the prophet describes him here, he's been up all night. He's been beat up. He's had a crown put upon him. He's been boxed by one soldier after another. The mob are boxing him. And when he's carrying the cross, which weighed about 70 pounds, they finally recruited an African from the north there, Simon of Cyrene. They recruit him because this man has lost so much blood. This man has become so weak. This man's face is so swollen from the beatings like a fighter that uh, his face is puffy, uh, unrecognizable. And so by the time the prophet says, if you looked at him on the cross, and even if you were Mary, if she didn't know, she said, I wouldn't know that's my son. Who is that? It looks like a, a lacerated, beat-up piece of meat. I, I don't even see a human being up there. And look at what he says. It was so marred beyond human semblance. There's nothing human on that cross. This is why people say, I don't want a slaughterhouse religion like this. You mean God would do this to his son? One is called a cosmic rape. How could God allow this to happen? His form is beyond that of the children of mankind. No, we would not know. Who is this? Who is this? And all we can say is his heel is being crushed. This is what he said he would come to do. He would defeat our enemy, but at no small price to himself. This is just his heel being crushed. So that he's beyond that of any of mankind. And then you go down to 53. Few even recognized him when he came. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. The idea is the Davidic heir, by the time he's born in Bethlehem, and grows up in Roman-occupied Palestine, the Davidic dynasty has been cut off at the base. Where are the descendants of David? Where is Judah? 606, Assyria took the ten tribes into exile. 586, Babylon takes them away into exile. Seventy years there. 400 years of silence. The Roman boot is on their neck. Where is an heir of David? Where is the lion of the tribe of Judah? And the prophet said by the time he came, the whole dynastic tree had been cut to the ground. The only thing left were the roots. And by the time he shows up in Bethlehem, it's like a little sapling coming up out of a tree that's not quite dead. And we see this young sapling growing up in Bethlehem. We've got Jesus sharing a bedroom with brothers that don't know they're living with God. 
James, the half-brother of Jesus. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. They didn't know they were sharing a bedroom with Jesus. When he walked down the road, there was no aura. There was no glow. There was no, they, who is this? This is Mary's son. This is Joseph. And, and many times he couldn't even do a miracle in his own town because some of them said he's out of his mind, Mark 3. He's gone crazy. He's a crazy man in the neighborhood. Talks about God and acts like he's from God. You mean you, God can live on the earth and not be recognized? Yeah. For 33 years he did. Friend, when you only get 120 people to meet you in the upper room, I'd write that up as failure. Is that the best you can do, Jesus? You raise the dead, you heal the leper, you, you heal this, you heal that. Come on, haven't you heard of a mega church? Don't you know how to get a big church? You failure. You ugly piece of humanity. Who wants this Messiah? Who's got the guts to preach this kind of Christ? This will not appeal to anyone. By the way, the rabbis don't study Isaiah. Our missionary Oded Cohen, when he was in Brooklyn, he evangelized rabbis at night. They went to certain bars in Brooklyn at night after working hours. And he'd get there, and Oded would always start with Isaiah. More Jews been saved from Isaiah 53 than any other chapter in the Bible. And he would start with Isaiah 53. Guess what the rabbis are full of? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Just the first five books. Just the first five books. The law, the law, the law, the law, the law. What about a crucified Messiah? No. And they would call this chapter the crucifixion of Israel. They make the suffering servant Israel. This is Messiah. This is a person. Now, they don't even recognize him. Then, and if you're following your notes, if you don't fill them out now, for 10 bucks later, I'll give you the fill-ins. <laughs> At the end of two, he had no form or majesty that we should let look at him. He couldn't get your attention by external display. And there was no beauty that we should desire him. There was nothing about this lone rabbi walking around Palestine that would attract you. He didn't have a good promotion team. He didn't have a computer. And he didn't have a front man. His only front man got beheaded. And his front man, when he was in prison, begin to even doubt, was I right about you? And Jesus sent word. He said, go tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear. Tell him he wasn't wrong. I call it the triumph of a discouraged man. Even the greatest prophet got discouraged about Jesus. He was so humble so far from the Jewish expectation. Kick the Gentiles out. Show the muscle of God. Deliver us with might. But by the last thing in the world is what we want described here. 
It just doesn't make sense. And he goes on that when we saw him, we despised him. He, he, he's a man of sorrow. Now, in, no one wants to be around people in their sorrow, right? Let's have a party for New Year's Eve. Don't get around somebody in grief. Don't get around somebody sad. That'll ruin the party. You didn't just hang out with Jesus just to party. He threw most of his parties for sinners that got right with God. It's the only time he threw a party. And by the way, whether you know it or not, God throws a party every time somebody gets saved. God is a party animal. You just got to lead someone to Christ. He said, his form was one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. We saw no value in him. There's no esteem. If you esteem me, you place a value on me. No value on this, this kind of Messiah. Not esteemed. Then he goes on. He was considered to be under a curse, and he was. Surely he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, but we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. You better believe it. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And why are you doing there? He said, we all went astray. Well, what are you doing there? What are you doing there? Well, you made the mess that I came to clean up. You lost paradise. I came to get it back. And it won't be gotten back cheap nor easy. According to Deuteronomy, everything that hangs on a tree is under a curse. According to Galatians, he was viewed as cursed. According to Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, at this point in time, God the Father said, I impute the sin of the race to you. You have become their sin. And there is no substitute for you. I think of the famous story of Abraham and Isaac. One of the most moving stories in Scripture, Genesis 22. And oh, how the Jewish people love it. When Yom Kippur comes around, oh, they tell the story of Isaiah and, and uh, Genesis 22 over and over. It's the story of the Jewish calendar every year. But here's the thing. The amazing thing about the story is Abram was willing to plunge the knife in his son. But the remarkable thing is a ram was caught in the thicket. And all we applaud. Jehovah Jireh. God has supplied himself a substitute for Isaac. And Isaac goes down the mount. Let me tell you this. There were no rams caught in the thicket on the day of Calvary. There's no substitutes for Jesus. There's nobody that can rescue him. There is no rescue. There is no rescue. And he asked himself, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where's the ram? And the father could say, there is none for you. Are you sure you want to crush the head of the enemy? Are you sure 
you want to reach down this deep to save. It's an amazing thing that God told Israel through Jeremiah that they had been captured by the worship of Moloch. And it was this, and this is all in idolatry. We find out even when we go to Mexico and you go to the certain mountain peaks, you go to South America, we find human sacrifices, human sacrifices all over the world. Altars built where you burn your girls or your sons to your God. All over. It just, if you study anthropology, if you study world religions, You've got to make a sacrifice to please the gods. And all of a sudden, Jeremiah says, Israel, I hear you're worshiping Moloch. And I understand that uh, you're offering your sons to Moloch. And when you think of it, God's own people bought into this idol that was... Uh, it's graphic when you read about it that it was an idol that you can build a fire in it and it had these arms that you could put your child, your sacrifice on the arms of the idol and it was designed to roll down into the mouth of this idol that was a burning fire. So I imagine, just imagine, you're a devotee of Moloch and you take your 18-year-old wife Jewish girls were married around 14, 15. The first baby would be there easy before 18. Sweetheart, let's go worship today. And let's take our boy, Benjamin. And, and let's, let's worship Moloch. Yes, honey, uh, we, we are worshipers. And, and what do you suggest? Oh, oh, today we will leave Moloch in the arms or we'll be, leave our son Benjamin in the arms of Moloch. He won't come home with us because we love Moloch. We're devoted to Moloch. He is our God. He'll make you have more babies. He'll bless our crops. He'll give us happiness. He, he's who we're counting on. And imagine just the human pathos of an 18-year-old girl that went through the pains of childbirth, just going there with her husband. In the name of Moloch, we give you Benjamin and hear the baby crying on the way into the mouth of a burning idol. God sent Jeremiah and said, would you tell Israel this? I never dreamed to ask you for your sons. I would never ask you for your sons. But I'll tell you this, Israel, I'll give you my son. Christianity doesn't ask for your sons. It asks you to receive God's son. That's Christianity. God wants to give us something. Did you know that you're not going to heaven through anything good you've ever done? No righteousness have you. Nothing in my hand to thee I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. O Lamb of God, I come. Could my tears forever flow? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. He gave up. Listen to these words of Ira Sankey. Moved England as he sung before they would introduce Moody. 
And this song swept England off its feet. There were 90 and 9 that safely lay in the shelter of the fold, but one was out on the hills away, far off from the gates of gold, away on the mountain wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care. Lord, thou hast here thy 90 and 9. Are they not enough for thee? But the shepherd made answer, This of mine has wandered away from me. And although the road be rough and steep, I go to the desert to find my sheep. And notice this third line. But none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the Lord passed through. Ere he found his sheep that was lost, out in the desert he heard its cry, sick and helpless and ready to die. Lord, whence are those blood drops all the way that mark out the mountain's track? They were shed for one who had gone astray ere the shepherd could bring him back. Lord, whence are thy hands so rent and torn? They're pierced tonight by many a thorn. But all through the mountains, thunder riven, and up from the rocky steep, there arose a glad cry to the gate of heaven. Rejoice, I have found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne. Rejoice, for the Lord brings back his own. I believe when I read Isaiah, I think, but none of the ransomed ever knew how dark was the night, nor how deep were the waters crossed. This is what he did to bruise and crush the head of the serpent. But in the doing, he was crushed to death. It says that the Lord was pleased to crush him and put him to grief. Now, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, please turn. If I dwell here too long, emotion will not allow me to go. But look at when Paul is preaching this message to the Greek world, where they worshipped wisdom, where they gloried in Hercules, Alexander the Great, power, power, beauty, wisdom, the gods of mankind. Since we worship beauty, he became ugly. Since we worship power, he became weak. Since the Greeks worship wisdom, God says, I'm going to look foolish. Listen to what he says. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is stupid. Folly. Moronic is the word. It's moronic. Our message of the cross to those who are perishing. Is that the best you can come up with? A crucified, bleeding Savior? You think he could save? you got to be kidding. He couldn't save himself. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
How's that so? For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Nobody ever got saved getting a Ph.D. Nobody ever got saved in Athens based upon Socrates, Plato, Euripides, or any of the other philosophers. No one's ever got saved based upon IQ and education. God's not impressed with what we think is brilliant. And it says in chapter 2, verse 8, the brilliant princes of the earth crucified the Lord of glory. You mean you're that brilliant, you experts killed God. Yep. Like he's being killed on most university campuses. We can't have a God of the Bible on campus. The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the stupidity, the folly, the moronic of what we preach to save who? Brilliant people? No, believing people who believe. For Jesus, the Jews, demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ, crucified, the Christ of Isaiah 53. That's who we preach. And what does it do? It stumbles the Jews, and the word stumble here is it's a scandal to the Jewish mind. This is scandalous to say Messiah suffers like this. This is a scandal. We will not have that kind of Messiah. And for 2,000 years, they're dying and perishing without God and studying the Torah every day. Because you can't go to heaven by the Torah. You've got to come through the cross. And I work with Jews for Jesus, so don't tell me what the Jews think. It's what they face all the time. We preach Christ, crucified. It's a scandal to the Jews and stupidity to the Gentiles. But to those who were called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Guess what? No one goes to heaven apart from believing in the Christ of the cross. Foolish? Go to your psychiatrist to see if he can get you to heaven. Go to your PhDs. I'm not afraid of education. I got a doctorate. Took 14 years. I ain't afraid of education. I just have no time for folly and stupidity that says God and the Bible are not true. Amen. So we're at we're in conflict all the time. Because I preach the foolishness of the cross and say the most powerful thing God did was the day he became so weak he died. The day that God died was the day the head of the serpent was crushed and the day I was set free. And God made a promise to Jesus. 
Jesus feared what would happen to him when they buried him. He had the fear that his body would begin to decompose. So God gave him a promise in Psalms 16 that Peter preached in Acts 2. I won't let the skin worms begin to destroy your body. No, no embalming fluid. You remember Lazarus? After the fourth day, he began to stink. Decomposition was so quick in Palestine. When you didn't have funeral homes, you didn't have embalming. Decomposition happened just like that. God said in Psalm 16, I will not suffer my lovely one to see decomposition. I won't let skin worms, they won't get to move in the corpse of Jesus. Mary, you put the spigner, you put the spices, but you didn't need to. This corpse won't ever stink. For God said, I'll tell the skin worms, do not touch the corpse, and in three days, I'll raise it up. And he did it just like that. But let me tell you this. Hear me now. Jesus did something on the ugliest day of his life. The day you can't give God away, he looks too ugly until the Spirit of God shows you what he accomplished on the day he died. In the midst of the dying, the pain, the spit, the blood, the laceration, the swollen body, Jesus did this. A murderer said, I'm getting what I deserve. But I think you're the way to paradise. Could you let me go? And Jesus said, today I'm opening the gate to paradise again. I'll see you in paradise. This is what we lost in Genesis 3. We lost paradise. We lost perfection. We lost glory. And Jesus, in the midst of the ugliest day he ever lived, the day God became so ugly, nobody wanted him. He said, I'll let you be with me in paradise. The seed of Eve not only saved her, but saved everybody in her posterity that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to us who believe, we celebrate the cross constantly. Every time we take communion, we celebrate my God thought enough of me he would die. My God wanted me bad enough that he'd walk to the agony of the cross. My God became esteemed as unlovely, unworthy, and though the human race is stumbling over him, and he's not smart enough for them, it's not good enough for them, and there's too much blood and gore. At Calvary, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not. My Lord was crucified, but at Calvary, at Calvary, he broke the chains. And Milton, all you could say is paradise was lost and found, but you never knew how to find it. Jesus found it. Put your faith in this crucified seed of the woman, the Messiah, the Christ, and the gates of paradise will be thrown open to you again 
all who come to him and believe in him, he gives eternal life and the right to be called sons of God. And from then on, heaven is my home. Heaven is my destiny. I've regained everything Adam lost. And I got it by way of the cross. By way of the cross. Our Father, if there be anyone here today that is like that sheep out on the hillside, lost. You said all of us were that sheep. All we, like sheep, have gone our own way. Father, we're so stupid. We were talked out of paradise by a lie that offered us godhood if we'd only do it our way. And we lost everything. And we've lived through a world of woe, pain, death, the curse. It's hard to be alive in a world full of the curse. It's dangerous, Father, to be around empty people trying to find something to fill the vacuum. If there's anyone here today searching, seeking, wondering if they could ever find their way to heaven, could they ever know their sins are forgiven? Could they ever have peace again? I ask that the Spirit of God would rent the veil and show them Jesus is strong enough to save. He's wise enough to save. He hasn't done it the world's way. He didn't do it the way men would have invented. He did it the way the Father could crush the head of the enemy and save us at the same time. You've said in your word, to as many as receive him, you'll give them the right to become children of God, born out of the blood of a man, but born from the Spirit of God. I ask that you would save. And Father, you've not asked for my firstborn child to be sacrificed, but I would like to give you myself. And it's an unimpressive gift, but it's all I really got. You're worth far more. You're worth far more. Let us rediscover Jesus and the cross. So many of us are bogged down in church. Don't want to give, don't want to serve, don't want to this, don't want to da, da, da. The excuses at the foot of the cross are thousands. But when we stand before you, Jesus, you'll still have the wounds. And you'll still be able to say, the night was dark when I went after you. The river of death was deep. But I said, I'll do it if I can get you to paradise. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That I'll never know how deep it was. I just like to say thank you.
all my ambitions at my feet in ashes lay, I will praise you. If you're here and you've never received Christ, why not today? I'd say, why not today? Then I ask you another question. What more do you want God to do? What more could he do to show you he loves you, that he wants you, than to become ugly, despised, rejected, and hated for you? I don't know what more God could ever do for you. Why don't you receive him? Why don't you say, I take Christ. I want this kind of Christ to be my Savior. Are you here? Have you ever stepped across the line and said, Christ is my Savior. I want this Christ. If you've not, this is the day. Don't delay. I think of last week, a man was in service. Dear man, I called him on Tuesday. I called him on Monday, couldn't get him. He calls me back on Tuesday. He was dead on Thursday. Thank God he flew off to paradise. If you should die by next Thursday, where will you go? You must first stop by the cross. For our gospel is Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried and rose again. He's alive today. He wants to come into your heart. Pulling you up in front, getting you to raise your hand won't make you receive him in your heart. First, right there where you are, receive him in your heart. If you want to let us know about it, we'll be in the front. If there's any questions you have, we'll have different people in this church. We want to assist, but only you only you could decide if you want a crucified Christ to be your Savior. Only you. I leave you with Christ. God bless you.